Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Hey, if you're getting married this year or next year, you need to check out the legacy on possumrun.com. That's the legacy on possumrun.com. When you get there, you can sign up for a free open house on January 27th where you can see the space live. You, you want to do that. I can't tell you how many people say, my goodness, it looks beautiful online, but when you get here, it's something else. You'll see why married couples or engaged couples, uh, excuse me, uh, all around Ohio are saying, that's the place I want to see. That's where I want to go. So go to the legacy on possumrun.com, check it out. Pricing's there, uh, a calendar's there so you can see what dates are available. And uh, that's where your legacy begins at the legacy on possumrun.com. So <clears throat> we are reading through Molly Ball's Time. I, I used to call it Time Magazine, but I guess they just go by Time now. Article, February 2021, on saving the 2020 election. And what we've learned so far is that labor and big tech colluded. There was a cabal with those actors as well as Democrats and Republicans. And the narrative was that Trump will be a threat to democracy. Sound familiar? And that the burn, loot, and murder cult that was literally burning and looting and murdering, they were really just standing up for social injustice, right? Because they're the oppressed and there are oppressors. By the way, we're seeing the same thing right now with uh, the anti-Israel faction. Israel, they're oppressors. And the oppressed have a right to chant in favor of genocide. And you see the, you see the parallels, similarities? And then Trump said the election's going to be rigged well, they admitted that they changed voting laws, made it easier for mail-in ballots. Um, the people, by the way, I remember reporting on this back in 2020. The, the election laws that were changed weren't necessarily changed by actors who could change the law. Nonetheless, they were changed. And then the die was cast. That was it. And um, <clears throat> so we're going to pick up there. For Trump and his allies were running their own campaign to spoil the election. The president spent months insisting that mail ballots were a Democratic plot and that the election would be rigged. His henchmen at the state level sought to block their use while his lawyers brought dozens of spurious suits to make it more difficult to vote. An intensification of the GOP's legacy of suppressive tactics. Suppressive tactics. Meanwhile, it's below zero and snowing and people in Iowa are going to show up to caucus and talk for three hours. I got you there. Um, by the way, if mail-in ballots weren't an issue, uh, how did 2,000 mules not result in somebody's getting sued? Bigly, as Trump would say. I mean, I saw it. People were stuffing ballots, weren't they? In some cases, doing it illegally against state law or local rules. 
And he spent months following November 3rd trying to steal the election he'd lost with lawsuits and conspiracy theories, pressure on state and local officials, and finally summoning his army of supporters to the January 6th rally that ended in deadly violence at the Capitol. Really? I think the only violent death was Ashley Babbitt, and she was shot by Capitol Police. Now, that fact is so hard for the mainstream press to explain away. They're now trying to blame Donald Trump for Ashley Babbitt's death by saying, listen, if he hadn't stirred the pot, Donald Trump said peacefully and patriotically protest, but every mainstream outlet clipped that part of the clip. And then they put on a dog and pony show known as the January 6th Commission, which, by the way, uh, fewer and fewer people are now believing. The democracy campaigners watched with alarm. Every week we felt like we were in a struggle to try to pull off this election without the country going through a real dangerous moment of unraveling, says former GOP representative Zach Womp, a Trump supporter who helped coordinate a bipartisan election protection council. We can look back and say this thing went pretty well, but it was not at all clear in September and October that that was going to be the case. This is the inside story of the conspiracy to save the 2020 election based on access to the group's inner workings, never before seen documents and interviews with dozens of those involved from across the political spectrum. It is the story of an unprecedented, creative and determined campaign whose success also reveals how close the nation came to disaster. Every attempt to interfere with the proper outcome of the election was defeated, says Ian Basson, co-founder of Protect Democracy, a nonpartisan rule of law advocacy group. But it's massively important for the country to understand that it didn't happen accidentally. No kidding, Sherlock. Uh, the system didn't work magically. Demo- democracy is not self-executing. You know, we, we have a constitutional republic there, Ian. You might want to dust off that civics book that you didn't read in, I don't know, 11th grade, 12th grade. That's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told, even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. Sounds like election interference to me, doesn't it, you guys? Sounds like election interference to me. Uh They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. Oh, my bad. So when the FBI knew or reasonably should have known that the Hunter Biden laptop story was accurate and exit polls told us that if that information had been released and not suppressed, that Joe Biden would have lost the White House. That's fortification. I thought that was illegal. My bad. And they believe the public needs to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure that democracy in America endures. Well, who is the architect? Sometime in the fall of 2019, a guy by the name of Mike Podhorzer became convinced the election was headed for disaster and determined to protect it. I wonder who's behind the scenes right now in 2024. This was not his usual purview for nearly a quarter century. Podhorzer, senior advisor to the president of the AFL-CIO, the nation's largest union federation, 
has marshaled the latest tactics and data to help its favored candidates win elections. Unassuming and professional, he isn't the sort of hair-gelled political strategist who shows up on cable news. Among Democratic insiders, he's known as the wizard behind some of the biggest advances in political technology in recent decades. A group of liberal strategists he brought together in the early 2000s led to the creation of the Analyst Institute, a secretive firm that applies scientific methods to political campaigns. He was also involved in the founding of Catalyst, the flagship progressive data company. The endless chatter in Washington about political strategy, Podholzer believes, has little to do with how change really gets made. My basic take on politics is that it's all pretty obvious if you don't overthink it or swallow a prevailing framework whole, he once wrote. After that, just relentlessly identifying your assumptions and challenge them. Podholzer applies that approach to everything. When he coached his now adult son's Little League team in the D.C. suburbs, he trained the boys not to swing at most pitches, a tactic that infuriated both their and their opponent's parents, but won the team a series of championships. Trump's election in 2016, credited in part to his unusual strength among the sort of blue-collar voters who once dominated the AFL-CIO, prompted Podhorzer to question his assumptions about voter behavior. He began circulating weekly number-crunching memos to a small circle of allies and hosting strategy sessions in D.C., but when he began to worry about the election itself, he didn't want to seem paranoid. It was only after months of research that he introduced his concerns in his newsletter in October 2019. The usual tools of data, analytics, and polling would not be sufficient in a situation where the president himself was trying to disrupt the election. He wrote, most of our planning takes us through election day, he noted, but we're not prepared for the two most likely outcomes, Trump losing and refusing to concede and Trump winning the election by corrupting the voting process in key states. So see, they had to fix it for you. This is the intelligentsia. They know better than you. Rounding third and heading home. Final segment of the Monday edition, Martin Luther King Jr. Day of the Bruce Hooley Show. And uh, we are marching headlong through this incredible report from time on the 2020 election, the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. And uh, it's important to walk through it because we're seeing it play out again. And instead of saying, hey, see, I told you so, I'm just unpacking it for you so that you can start to understand what happened in 2020 and maybe whether it's happening again now. Um, there's still a lot to go through, so we're going we're gonna to spend some time tomorrow on this. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, Trump, it was touted, would essentially say that this election was rigged and that he would turn the country upside down. We're kind of hearing that right now, right? That he's the threat to to democracy, that he's a dangerous dictator. Um, And we heard this in 2020. Now, I would surmise that there are people who say, "Mm, the little boy cried wolf again. I'm not sure that I'm buying this. 
I think when you go through this article, I think you'll buy it even less. So they were concerned about Trump losing and refusing to concede and um, corrupting voting processes in key states. And it turned out this guy by the name of Podhorzer wasn't the only one thinking in this, these terms. He began to hear from others eager to join forces, this article says, the Fight Back Table, a coalition of, quote, resistance organizations, had begun scenario planning around the potential for a contested election, gathering liberal, liberal activists at the local and national level into what they called the Democracy Defense Coalition. Voting rights and civil rights organizations were raising alarms. A group of former elected officials was researching emergency powers they feared Trump might exploit. Protect Democracy was assembling a bipartisan election crisis task force. It turned out that once you said it out loud, people agreed, Podhorzer says, and it started building momentum. Alert, if you watched any of the weekend press shows, this is already happening. There are people in D.C. and around the country who are already game planning. They're researching they're trying to understand what powers or what laws Trump might try to call on. And worse, they're saying if he becomes president, get this, that he's going to use the Insurrection Act to clean out the Department of Defense, to clean out the federal government. I mean, you're literally talking about the same thing right now. So the alliance, on March 3rd, which would have been 2020, Podhorzer drafted a three-page confidential memo titled Threats to the 2020 Election. Trump has made it clear that this will not be a fair election, that he will reject anything but his own re-election as fake and rigged. On November 3rd, should the media report otherwise, he will use the right-wing information system to establish his narrative and incite his supporters to protest. The memo laid out four categories of challenges, attacks on voters, attacks on the election administration, attacks on Trump, uh, Trump's political opponents, and efforts to reverse the results of the election. I think the best way to get away with a big heist is to tell people what it's going to look like after the heist is successful. Just my thought. Penny, penny, my two thoughts. Then COVID erupted at the height of the primary election season. Normal methods of voting were no longer safe for voters or the mostly elderly volunteers who normally staff polling places. But political disagreements intensified by Trump's crusade against mail voting prevented some states from making it easier to vote absentee or for jurisdictions to count those votes in a timely manner. Chaos ensued. You remember this? Ohio shut down in-person voting for its primary. That's when my lid flipped. What the combination of Dave Yost and Frank LaRose and Mike DeWine and Amy Acton did was still unconstitutional to me. And I'm not sorry about saying that. Poll worker shortage, shortage in Milwaukee, where Wisconsin's heavily Democratic black population is concentrated, left just five open polling places down from 182 in New York. Vote counting took more than a month. Suddenly, the potential for a November meltdown was obvious, was it? So in his apartment in the D.C. suburbs, Podhorzer began working from his laptop at his kitchen table, holding back-to-back Zoom meetings 
for hours a day with his network of contacts across what? The progressive universe, the labor movement, the institutional left like Planned Parenthood and Greenpeace, resistance groups like Indivisible and Move On, progressive data geeks and strategists, representatives of donors and foundations, state-level grassroots organizers, racial justice activists, and others. In April, Podhorzer began hosting a weekly two-and-a-half-hour Zoom. It was structured around a series of rapid-fire five-minute presentations on everything from which ads were working to messaging to local strategy. The invitation-only gatherings soon attracted hundreds, creating a rare shared base of knowledge for the fractious progressive movement. Again, the progressive movement. What's that tell you, folks? At the risk of talking trash about the left, there's not a lot of good information sharing, said uh, one person associated with Potholzer. Uh, there's a lot of not invented here syndrome where people won't consider a good idea if they didn't come up with it. So the meetings became the galactic center for a constellation of operatives across the left who shared overlapping goals but didn't usually work in concert. Do you remember how the talking points were monolithic? Do you remember how if you said something, it was as if an entire swarm of people showed up and they were speaking in unison? I wonder how they got there. The group had no name, no leaders, and no hierarchy, but it kept the disparate actors in sync. Pod played a critical behind-the-scenes role in keeping different pieces of the movement, infrastructure, and communication and aligned, says Maurice Mitchell, National Director of the Working Families Party. We have the litigation space, the organizing space, the political people just focused on the W, and their strategies aren't always aligned. He allowed this ecosystem to work together. So here we have it. Um, We'll talk tomorrow about how they secured the vote, right? The first task was overhauling America's bulky election infrastructure. Yeah, they wanted to to make it easier for mail-in ballots. They wanted to make it easier to – they, Jeff, they weren't, they weren't interfering with the election. They were fortifying it. Folks, labor, big tech, censorship, threat to democracy narrative. Sound familiar? Trump being the dangerous dictator. I mean, they're using the same playbook. Are you awake? Hey, thanks for spending time with me today. I appreciate you. I will be back tomorrow at 11. And uh, we've got some cool stuff lined up, but I'm not going to tell you about that till tomorrow. So until then, have a blessed day. And thank you for listening to 98.9 FM, The Answer.